The scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 19, and you've probably heard Psalm 19 before. It's a very, very popular psalm, and we're working through the psalms this summer for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of beautiful things about the psalms, but one of them is it gives us a prayer language, a way to talk to God, a way to think about God, a way to communicate with God, that we don't have to wonder if these are words God wants us to use even when we're praying. And Psalm 19 is certainly that. And so, from Psalm 19, hear the word of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decree of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, and then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart Be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So again, Psalm 19, it's a really popular psalm for a lot of reasons, but some of the things that I love about Psalm 19 is that it answers questions that everyone asks. There are questions asked in Psalm 19 and answers given that whether you're a Christian or not, these are are questions you think about. Questions like, how can I know if God's real or not? Questions like, does everyone in the world get an opportunity to see who God is and to know who He is? You remember Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands, day after day they pour pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. You know, is God real? What does it mean to know Him? Well, part of how God has given us, or one way He's given to us to know who He is, is to observe the universe around us. It's so big, it's so grand. Like, what is this? Who am I? It's really good when you do this. It helps you to, to believe very easily, I'm not the center of the universe. Like, there's a lot more going out uh, on out there than just my little world. It also, Psalm 19, helps us to ask the question of, well, how can I know what God's will is? Like, what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to follow after Him? Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. It is not God's intention for us to figure out who he is or to make up who he is or to sort of have a gathered conjecture of who he is, God has actually given us the word so we can know what he's like and what he intends for us and what it means to follow him. His law is perfect. He gives light to our eyes. His decrees are righteous. means his ways are trustworthy. 
Psalm 19 is rich with wisdom for us. It's really an important psalm as you think about what does it mean for me to be able to speak to God as he is, to trust in him as he is, to cultivate my relationship with him. And one of the most significant things about cultivating a relationship with someone is knowing their name. You know, when I say Jamie to you, that may not mean a whole bunch to you, but to me it means the woman I've traveled my life with. We got married, we've moved all over the country, we have three beautiful children. I know about our wonderful conversations and our arguments from last week. Like, I know our dreams and our hopes. Like, when you say Jamie, that means a lot to me. It's not just a name. It's my wife, and I love her. Or when my, I think of my daughter Avery, or my son William, or my son Walker, or you. Like, names matter. Do you know what Psalm 19 does? In a very, very wonderful, personal way, God gives you some of his most significant names. And you can't, unless, you, unless you've studied Hebrew, you won't see this. But in Psalm 19, the psalmist transitions between using a way of referring to God in three different sections of Psalm 19. The first is El, that he's God of the universe. He's the kind of the general concept of God. He's the one that did all this. And then the second name is that he is Yahweh. And it starts in verse 7, that he's the lawgiver, that he has spoken particularly to us. He doesn't want you just to sort of hack it out and figure it out and, and survival of the fittest for your way of being. He actually wants you to hear from him. He wants to be accessible. We'll talk about that. But God desires for him. He wants us to know he is accessible. And so he's El. He's the, the creator God. He's the, the big one who did all these things. He's Yahweh who's spoken very particularly to us. And then, as you'll see towards the end, verse 11 and following, he's the redeemer. He's the, he's the one who brings back. He's the one who says there's nothing, not a single experience you've had, not a single thing you've done, not a single thing you've thought, nothing about you can keep you from being redeemed by me. I am El, I am Yahweh, I am the Redeemer. That's who I am. And part of you cultivating your personal sort of engagement with God, whether you're speaking to Him or you're thinking about Him or you're trying to figure out how to follow Him, part of it is knowing who He is. Knowing his name. So let's start with this L, verses 1 to 6. God, the creator. It's meant to provoke something in us. You know, I, I, again, I think back to being at Panama Beach, Panama City with the senior high students a couple weeks ago. You know, when you stand on the, the beach there, you don't think to yourself, oh, I could swim across this. Like God has embedded in everything an opportunity for you to go, there's bigger stuff out there than just who I am. Like, if it's all on me, we're in trouble. If I have to scoop the ocean out into another part of the world, it's just not happening. He is El. He is the creator. And in the ancient Near East, the concept of El was common to everyone. They had different gods for different purposes, whether it was for fertility or for protection or for whatever they wanted. They would use certain incantations. And you can read back in the ancient texts, and the way that they would get a God to do something for them is it would, it, they would say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again until the God yielded and said, fine, you can have what you want. I'll give it to you. Go bother another thing, another God. So when the psalmist uses the word El, no matter if they were Hebrew or if they were a part of the tribes, they still would have known who, they, who he was talking about. He's talking about El. He's talking about God. And we have that in our culture. You see, a God is anything you look to 
to give you meaning. It's anything you look to to give you hope, to give you joy, to give you the thing you think you must have. It's L, even if it's impersonal. You're looking to it to satisfy. And we have a whole bunch of options in our culture. Career can be one. And you should ask your retired brothers and sisters if career is enough to satisfy you for your entire life. You should ask them. Hear from the wisdom of their experience. Sometimes it's beauty. You know, you can ask me. I don't have as much hair as I used to, right? Like, what is the thing you're looking to to answer life's most difficult questions of where is my joy? Where is my hope? Why is this matter? Why is it worth it? What is your God? The psalmist is tapping into that with L. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. God is communicating his greatness in every waking moment you have. He wants you to see that he's real. He wants you to see that he's there, that he's the true God, and his greatness is inescapable. It's an inescapable, inescapable greatness. Verse 6, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. God's voice, God's presence, God's being real permeates the cosmos and your life. He's L. You know, to go back to that beach kind of thought for a moment, standing on a beach and looking out in the ocean, you know, there's, do you know how many gallons of water there are in the Gulf of Mexico? Well, just hold a second. I'll tell you in just a minute. The biggest, one of the biggest pools in the world is in Chile. It's 20 Olympic-sized pools wide. It's made of six, it has 65,000 gallons of water in it. And that's a lot of water, if, you know, if you're kind of wondering. Like, I don't know how much chlorine it would take to keep that thing looking nice, but that's a lot of water, okay? You know how many gallons of water in the Gulf of Mexico? Like 645 quadrillion. You can't build it. God's created all these things for you to look at. And if you're thinking, I think I could build, you know, something like this, you're just deceived. God wants you to know that he is El. He is the big God. He's the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer. Colossians reminds us, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following, reminds us that by Christ, by him, all things were created for him, through him, that by the word of his power, he sustains all things. Jesus is a big deal. He is God. And that's important for us. You know, whatever it is you're thinking about in life, you know, whether you are towards the end of your career and you're thinking about what comes next, or if you're in high school or if you're in college, you need a God who's big enough to walk with you into the next season, week, month, year, whatever, and he is big enough for that. God wants you to think of him as that. Now, you know, when you're praying, when you're thinking about your relationship with God, remember that this is what God's word has given you to be able to cling to. Brad didn't make this up. God revealed this so that you would know there's a God who is that big. You're being invited into trusting in him as El. Secondly, verses 7 through 10, knowing the Lord as the lawgiver. And this is really, really beautiful. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Now, when you think about reading the scriptures, why do we read the scriptures? Why are, why are the scriptures so central at Grace Presbyterian Church? Because we believe God's word is true. 
We believe that God's word, his law, is perfect, and it refreshes the soul. That actually forgiveness leads to life, not bitterness and anger. That faithfulness leads to beautiful things, not lies and deceit. Um, God being referred to as Yahweh here by the psalmist, of course, it's referencing Moses. God asks Moses, hey, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him who I am. Tell him about what I'm going to do. Tell him to free my people. And what does Moses say back to God? Who shall I say sent me? Yahweh. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. How many times have you wondered, God, what is your will for me in this? God is telling us in his word, if we will seek him in his word, he will give light to our eyes. Now, what that doesn't mean, and this is oftentimes what you might hear, um, maybe from other uh, Christian organizations or whatever, is God actually, in the Bible, doesn't give you an answer to every single question your heart can muster. What he does give you answers to is every single question your heart needs answered. And when you hear that, you might think, yeah, but that's not true for me. Okay, that, that thing right there, that, that, that's the faith element. That, that thing where you're saying, but this isn't enough. God is saying, I, need, I want you to trust me. Remember, my law is good. I give light to the eyes. My precepts are trustworthy. The things that I've done will stand. This is firm. Trust me when I say this is going to be enough for you. I love you. I'm with you. Don't go at, the, the, don't go at life alone. Live in the context of your people. You know, follow me. Put your trust in me. It's going to sustain you. My grace is sufficient for you in your time of need. That may not be the answer we want, but that's the answer that El has given to us. That's the answer that Yahweh has given to us. That's the answer that the Lord has said, listen, if you want to find light for your eyes, good news for you. I have commands that are radiant. If you want to become wise in understanding God's ways, good news for you. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. You know, sometimes um, when we read in the scriptures things about who God is, or what he does, or what he says, if you haven't done this, you will do this. You'll think to yourself, I'm not sure if that's actually the best approach, God. You know, offering forgiveness to this person is really going to be painful for me. Being kind to this person who has no appreciation for it doesn't feel very life-giving. And see, that's the moment where God says, okay, I understand this is hard. I want you to do this. I want you to calibrate off the resurrection. The God of heaven and earth became a baby so that you could access him, so that you could know him. And he lived, and then he suffered, and he died. But he rose again. He defeated death. And the result of him trusting me in those things led to resurrection. Do you want to access resurrection in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships, in your way of thinking? God's inviting you to trust him in this moment and say, okay, God, I'm going to go with your ways. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. This idea of fear for the Lord, it's not that you cower in a corner. God doesn't want his beloved children to think, if you really respect me, you'll hide in that corner over there. It's the idea of reverence. You know, it's interesting all the other gods in the ancient Near East, all the other gods in the, in the Roman Empire, in the Greek, you know, during Greco-Roman times, very rarely, if ever, were the gods portrayed as 
so much like us that you could barely distinguish them from us. They were oftentimes portrayed more like what you think of, like Zeus or Ares or some of these other gods, big, powerful, strong gods. And they wield this power over you, and if you're nice to them, they'll wield it on your behalf. God wants to be accessible. He wants you to, he, if you want to think about how would God approach me, that's who Jesus is. Grows up, knows what it's like to stub his toes, knows what it's like to be betrayed, knows what it's like to be overlooked. He actually knows what it's like to be abandoned by his father. And he rises from the dead and says, here's the thing. My blood shed for you leads you to something greater. This is the truth of my love for you. I'm inviting you into my kingdom. Put your hope in me. Which leads to how the psalmist refers to God next. From El, the God of the universe, to Yahweh, the lawgiver who speaks to us so we can know him, to the Redeemer. It's kind of like with a child, or even in my own kids. Um, there's something about when you're a certain age, when your parents say, hey, don't do that, you think, ooh, I absolutely am going to do that. Like, I think that would be kind of awesome, and I, maybe I can get away with this even. You know, God's actually, he's inviting us to trust him, but the reality is, is oftentimes we do not. I'm your pastor, and I have to confess my sin every week in this church as we do together with just as much sincerity as you do. God's at work in me. God's at work in you. His grace is sufficient for us. So he's the lawgiver. He speaks the truth. What do we do with the fact we struggle to believe that God is good or we struggle to believe that his ways are best? See, if we really believed his ways were best, we wouldn't have any problem always following him. But the fact that we come to confess our sins is a reminder that there's something about us that needs something. And this is what we need. A rock and a redeemer. He is the rock. He is the redeemer. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. It, you know, this summer as we were hiking around, we would walk through some rivers. And the thing about walking through a river, if you've never really done it before, is what you should not do if you're running is just say, hey, there's the water. I'm going to sprint right through the river because you'll break your ankle. You'll slip and fall. There's boulders under there. There's things under there you don't know if you can step on, and you probably won't realize it until it's too late. And what do you do when you walk through a river, especially if it's like a Texas river, there's black water, and you can't see what's underneath, you know, two inches? Usually you sort of like put your foot in, and you step in, and you look for something firm to put your foot on. And then you can walk a little further out into the river or maybe out into the lake or depending on how far you want to go, I guess. God is giving us this imagery of being a firm rock for us. I am your rock. I am your redeemer. When you're reaching out, wondering what to step on, he's inviting you to remember that he's El. He's Yahweh. Come this way. Listen to the humility of the psalmist in verse 11. Talking about God's word that it's more precious than gold, it's sweeter than honey. He says this, By them your servant is warned, by his word, your servant is warned. In keeping them is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Do you see what this, how humble the psalmist is being? He's saying, on the one hand, I know that your word warns me. I know you're saying this isn't the way that leads to life. Some small examples. Don't murder. Like, it's not good for your friendships, right? Don't deceive. It's really difficult for your business transactions, right? The, the law of the Lord is actually good. It warns us to, toward uh, life and righteousness. 
But, the psalmist goes on, verse 12, but who can discern their own hearts? Forgive my hidden faults. Have you ever been asked to apologize for something? You're like, I, I'm not apologizing for that. There's about a 2% you know, validity rating to what they're saying. So 98% of this says, I don't have to apologize, right? Listen to how the psalmist thinks about his own sin. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. He's humble. Verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sin. So he's acknowledging there are times where he willfully ignores what God has for him. But with that, before that even, he says, but forgive me for my hidden faults. I think this enables us to have a real posture of humility with one another and with God, of course. You know, like when we're reading the Confession of Sin in our worship service, you may read it and think, well, I'm not really guilty of that this week. Well, maybe. But you can also say, Lord, but if I am, forgive me. Forgive my hidden faults. And yes, forgive me for my willful sins. And God, he prays. May they not rule over me. God, let your law rule over me. Why, why does it matter if God's law rules over you versus your own heart ruling over you? Why does it matter? Because one way leads to whatever you're able to come up with or worse. But the other way of letting God's law rule over you, like guiding if you're going to apologize, guiding if you're going to love someone, guiding how you think about um, reading his word and, and seeking to understand him. Like, why would I allow God's law to rule over me? Well, God tells you why. Because it refreshes the soul. Because it's trustworthy. Because it can make us wise. Because it gives joy to the heart. Because it gives light to, the, to our eyes. Because it endures forever. Because it's firm and it's righteous. God is inviting us, saying, hey, when you realize you are in need of a Redeemer, remember, I am your rock. Step on me. I am your Redeemer. Let me bring you back. Let me restore you. And as you do, this is the fruit of what I'm going to do in your life. You know, would you say you're experiencing growing in your knowledge of who God is? Would you say your level of friendship with who God is, is increasing? If your answer is absolutely not no, my hope for you is that, you, that God might allow you to begin to read this and say, God, could this be true for me? Could it be true that as miserable as I am sometimes, I could find joy in who you say you are? Would you make whoever you are, L, if that's where you are, make that so real to me that I begin to look at you as my, as my redeemer? Or maybe it's, Lord, if you could help me see your word for what it is, that I would begin to realize you're my rock and my redeemer. Would you do that in me? And one of the best places to do that, y'all, and it's not a shameless plug, it's the reality of God's word, is in the context of the community of faith. You know, last week I was talking with a friend who hiked the Kebab Trail. Do you know where that is? That's in the Grand Canyon. And he said, hey, I just hiked this trail in the Grand Canyon. And I said, well, which trail? Well, he said, the Kebab Trail. And I was like, oh. I think that's a trail I did with Jamie and the kids. And so we started talking about it and making your way down the kebab trail. You know, it's like, I think, 700 feet first as you're going down. And then as you make your way further down, you do some other things. And then you get to Ual Point. And we talked about the whole trail. You're like, oh, remember this? Remember that? And there was Ual Point. And I said, we stopped there. The next stop, I think the camp is called like Skeleton Camp or something, which 
was a bit foreboding at that, you know, at that point in our hike. I was like, eh, I don't want to go be, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy there at the skeleton camp or whatever it is. But we were able to talk about it and see it together and understand it together and remember the trail together. And we were like, yeah, that is exactly the trail. That's where it leads. That's true. Y'all, that's, that's the fellowship of faith we have in the church. We're a people, every single person who says they trust Jesus and love him, we're a people who say, you know, there's times where I need forgiveness for my hidden faults. There are times where I need forgiveness for my willful sins. But the God who loves me, the one who made the universe, doesn't desire for me to live in shame. He wants to redeem and restore. He wants me to flourish, to thrive, to be made wise, to be refreshed, to experience joy, to have light, to, to take trust in the fact that he is my rock and my redeemer. You know, this week, as you think about God's goodness and you think about God's faithfulness, or maybe you're struggling to believe that he's any of those things, consider his names. You're the creator. You're El. You're Yahweh. You're the one who's spoken. You're the redeemer. You're the one who has grace for me. There's actually no place for you to be spiritually at all where some element of that doesn't access your experience. Maybe it's simply that God is the God of heaven and earth, and that's where you're sitting. What God wants you to hear from that every single day is that he is big and he is great. And if you're someone who trusts in him, then you're one who gets to take a lot of hope in these promises that you're one of his people where he says, I want to refresh your soul and give light to your eyes and make wise the simple. I want to bring you into what he calls the kingdom of God. As we celebrate the supper, it's an opportunity for us to cultivate that relationship with the one who is El, who is Yahweh, who is our Redeemer. And so let's pray together as we celebrate. Lord Jesus, this morning we think of this psalm and we are reminded that, that you are El, that you're big, that your grace is big, that it's sufficient for us. And we would ask, Lord, that as we continue to make our way on this journey of faith, that the promises you have for us in Christ would become more and more real, so much so that they would refresh our souls, that they would bring joy, that they would bring wisdom, that they would help us to be people who see that your ways are firm and steadfast. Lord, increase our faith that we might trust in you more and develop our hope in the risen Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.